On the last episode of the GeoTrek podcast, we documented the arrival of Hurricane Ian in southwest Florida. I documented this hurricane from a parking garage in Punta Gorda, Florida, where we experienced two hurricane eye walls, category four winds, and the relatively calm eye. Hey, hey everyone, this is Dr. Hal, host of the GeoTrek podcast. This next episode, number 49, picks up right after the storm passed with numerous interviews of locals who rode out the storm. Let me walk you through this week's podcast guest and share a little bit about their geography. I interviewed a man named James Grime in the city of Fort Myers. James's family goes back many generations in the area. He and I have had previous conversations about the hurricane history of Southwest Florida on the National Tropical Weather Conference. In James's part of the city, Ian inflicted substantial wind damage, but not storm surge flooding. After speaking with James, I conducted two interviews in a part of South Fort Myers called Iona. One woman spoke to us about how new building codes that required homes to be built to a higher elevation saved her home from flooding. In the same neighborhood, we interviewed a man named Basil from New York who now lived in Sanibel Island. His area was very severely impacted by Ian. He was able to evacuate though and was just getting back to assess the damage. We also interviewed a woman named Kim from Illinois. She rode out Ian near the southern tip of Fort Myers, very close to Fort Myers Beach. The damage in this area was catastrophic. The fast flowing water level reached about eight feet above ground level here, destroying everything at ground level and depositing large boats and yachts in neighborhoods. The interviews with Marshall, Brian, and Brent were recorded right at the foot of the bridge to Fort Myers Beach. This bridge was close to everyone, including high profile media when we were there. These guys set up Dudley's Beachside Barbecue, really as a ministry to distribute free food to anyone who was hungry. High profile media walked right past them all day and they said we were the first team to record their story. These guys lost a lot in the storm, yet still chose to serve others. We love to highlight those kind of stories in GeoTrek. Before we get into these stories, I wanted to share a bit about the podcast. GeoTrek travels the world to find stories about the relationship between people and nature. Our stories investigate the impact of extreme weather, disasters, and hazards on individuals and communities. Our goal is to help you better understand how the world works so you can take actions to make yourself, your family, and your community more resilient from all the extremes Mother Nature can throw at us. Hey, before we get into this episode, we have a favor to ask you. We'd really appreciate if you would subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Your subscription helps us mark progress, which enables us to make more professional partnerships moving forward and ensures many more episodes of the GeoTrek podcast in the future. Well, hey, if you were part of our disaster reporting team, I would encourage you to bring along a backpack with water, food, and sunscreen and prepare for a long day walking through debris and engaging with people who were severely impacted by the category four Hurricane Ian. I always, it's, it's always my prayer and my hope to just keep my eyes open, to be an encouragement and to really see kind of what's really going on behind the scenes. Who can we really listen to and learn from their stories and hopefully encourage people along the way. James, I wanted to talk kind of before, during, and after Ian. So your family's been here for a long time in Southwest Florida. Could you go back in some of that history? You talked about your grandma even being uh, affected by hurricanes. My grandmother, my mother were here for Donna. Uh, we lived through Charlie. We lived through Irma. I was the first person in my family to leave for a hurricane with Hurricane Irma. 
So Southwest Florida has this interesting history in that there have been some close calls and even some hits, but we've never really had a big surge event in recent decades. There have been a lot of Irma and Charlie were in a sense surge misses. Mm. How did that maybe, how did that pre-Ian hurricane history maybe affect what, what went on with Ian? Complacency, lots of complacency. People were like, oh, we lived through Charlie, we're gonna be fine. A lot weren't. Could you walk us through Charlie, Wilma, and Irma, what were those like here? What what were the impacts? What, what were those storms? What did they do in Southwest Florida? With Charlie, we had quite a bit of wind damage, power loss. Irma, I wasn't here. I came back for the aftermath. I went to Tennessee and was, wasn't going to deal with it. Irma was, again, two, three weeks without power in some spots. Some places got flooded from river rise. You didn't see much storm surge. Um, it got banged up but it wasn't bad so it led to complacency here oh we survived charlie we survived irma this is the same scale we're gonna ride it out do you think with ian coming in a lot of people were thinking oh we've been through this before we've been through intense hurricanes it's just a it's going to be like charlie or irma again yep and not only that uh eoc did a terrible job with doing mandatory evacuations they didn't call for a mandatory until 24 hours before the storm hit Let's walk through that. So it, we know that model shift as hurricanes approach. This time it seemed like the models were quite uncertain and shifting around a lot. What did you see in the days before Ian and when the trend started shifting that this storm wasn't going to make landfall near Tampa, but it's starting to shift farther south? What, what was going through your mind? <laughs> Fear. That was what was going through my mind. Um, we noticed a pattern shift Saturday night where the models themselves started to tick west or tick back east from going west. I will say that the UK Met and the Euro were all consistently Fort Myers, Fort Myers, Fort Myers, Fort Myers. The GFS was all over the place, but it started to trend east. And then we looked at some pattern shifts in the upper atmosphere and we got concerned quickly. I've heard people with this storm say a lot of people misinterpret the cone of uncertainty and we have that cone and it shows potential eye positions what are your thoughts on that i mean do you think that also comes into play with we were seeing a cone of uncertainty really from maybe venice up through tampa and up around to the panhandle Mm -hmm. do you think a lot of people understand that the impacts usually are more severe far to the right of the eye and that outside the cone you could get very deadly conditions too many people focus on the center line i want the nhc to get rid of it Keep the cone, but don't use a center line because people focus on the center line and, well, it's not coming here, it won't be bad. Yeah, I'm not trying to criticize anybody officially, but in my personal opinion, if Fort Myers Beach, Marco Island, Sanibel are in the cone of concern, you don't wait until 24 hours before a storm to call for a mandatory evacuation if you're in the cone of concern. You call it and next, and you know, you say, oops, we missed, you're alive. So people getting a late evacuation, do you feel, did, do you know people that just said, we, we got to get out of here? Or do you feel like a lot of people at that point were already thinking, this is a Tampa storm. Uh, did a lot of people just end up staying behind, do you think? People were planning hurricane parties on Facebook. It's going to Tampa. We're going to get a little bit of wind. Let's have a party. The Lonnie Kai legitimately was promoting a hurricane party the day before the storm hit because they were saying it's going to Tampa. So people really were just thinking this is a Tampa event. This is going to miss us. Again, another storm will miss us. 
so all of a sudden on Wednesday morning, this becomes very clear, like this is even farther south than, than maybe the big impacts will be even be farther south than Punta Gorda and Port Charlotte. All of a sudden, this is really a Sanibel Fort Myers storm. I mean, so, so all of a sudden the rain bands start coming in. What's going through your mind? Are you still communicating with people in harm's way? Walk us through Wednesday morning, the day of landfall. Wednesday morning, we started going live on the page at uh, 10 a.m. because Kylie, my partner's daughter, who also is part of the page, had class at uh, Tallahassee Community College. We went live on the page at 10 o'clock, and he was still live when I lost power at noon. So they were going live and just engaging with people all that morning. I mean, props to all of you for just the constant engagement. You lost power at noon and you were describing to me a little bit like this. This was a long duration event here. You never really got the eye. You were in the eye wall for a long time. I mean, what was the day of landfall like for you here personally? You're riding this out. You're elevated. You're really above the floodwater, but the winds just have to be hammering you most of that day. Uh, my biggest concern was keeping my family safe. The winds were... I mean, I didn't have an anemometer on me, but they were going pretty good. I mean, as you can see from this, this they set it up to look like a jungle. Yeah, a lot of trees, a lot of wooded, a lo yeah. very lush vegetation, and a lot of that unfortunately came down. And a lot of it came into windows. So you had a lot of, let's talk about that. So I showed up, I was surprised to see not many boarded up windows. Uh, uh, people have talked about impact glass and some people have said, you're not gonna see boarded up windows. There's a lot of impact glass. Is that really true? How did the windows in general perform around here? The windows here where I'm at held up great. Um, they are impact rated, um, but yeah, around here, a lot of places have gone to the impacts. You won't see a lot of boards, but you will still see shutters over impact windows here. I see, just in case there's flying debris. Yeah, people learned from Charlie. I got you. Right, so Charlie, obviously a Cat 4 impact. Uh, Irma also Cat 4 well south of here. Not as much wind here, but still a big impact in, in the region. Uh, James, what do you think moving forward? I mean, how, how does this change the perception of hurricanes and risk and all the preparation and everything move, moving beyond Ian? Hopefully people listen. When they get told to leave, leave. Hopefully this will change the dynamic of, well, it's going to Tampa. I don't need to worry about it. Mother Nature doesn't care what a forecast says. It's going to do what it's going to do, right? It'll do what it wants. James, what about building better, building higher? Or do you think there'll be changes in where we build, how we build, things like that? I mean, these are some longer term questions. I realize we're less than one week out from the disaster. So I know some of these things are hard to answer, but just what's your pers perspective oh, no, on that? I can answer it now. No, will not change where things are built. Greed overrules all. Greed overrules common sense. Could you see building codes requiring higher buildings in, in certain areas, areas that were surged out? Or do you think people will say, this was an outlier, this was a, a million year storm, it'll never happen again? Not that it could change, it should change. James, really appreciate you taking time. I know these are hard things to talk about and uh, I know it's really affected you and your family very personally. So I just so much appreciate you taking time and sharing your expertise. And even from the first time we, we had conversations about storm surge and about the vulnerability of Southwest Florida. I know it's an area near and dear to you. I, I think you've made a huge difference here, probably beyond what you could imagine. And people are just getting telecommunications back. I think in the upcoming weeks and months, you'll be getting a lot of grateful responses from people. Thank you, sir. It, and, uh, it means a lot coming from you. I uh, also give hugs in disaster zones, so... Uh
And uh, feel free, you know, keep in touch with us and uh, let, let us we'll know do. how you're doing and if there's anything that you need as well. Yeah, we'll do, definitely. Um, I want to thank you for the work you've done because your, the U-Search project may make a difference. It thank should. you, I appreciate that. You know, we're looking for ways to partner better. A lot of times we're just kind of doing this on our own remotely. And we, after this, we thought, you know, we really want to have local partnerships where we partner with middle schools, high schools, colleges. Call. I'll get you in every just, school I can. Well, it'd be really cool that every community should know their flood history. Mm -hmm. And I, I've learned from this, every forecast should come along people and say, you can talk about miles per hour wind. You can talk about feet of storm surge. You can do all the maps you want, but... Perhaps we need to also come alongside people and say, although you got hit by a category four in Charlie, this category four is different and here's why. Although you feel like you got hit by Irma as a category four, here's how this storm's different, right? I, I think we need to know the local hurricane history and come alongside people instead of just throwing numbers at them. These storms are so rare, they're so violent, and they're so far outside people's frame of reference. At some point, you're sharing miles per hour that mean nothing to people, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, we celebrated the five-year anniversary of Irma just a few weeks ago. For the vast majority that's, that are long-timers like me, they've forgotten Irma already. You mean people have already forgotten some of these older storms? Yeah, yeah they had already forgotten Irma. They had already forgotten Charlie. It's like as if they, they, um, you're not vulnerable, you're uh, you're bulletproof right yeah. so i think there's a perspective especially when a lot of these storms miss i'm concerned about tampa sarasota again up there people said we never get hit that's really the perception there if tampa gets hit by a storm like irma or god forbid ian it'll be gone people are so complacent you will see numbers that will make katrina look like a toy James, I rolled into Sarasota the day before landfall. At the time, the models had Sarasota getting a direct hit from a major hurricane. I rolled in with 10 days of food, 10 days of water, two, two tanks of gasoline. I expected to find a ghost town, and what I found was a completely operational city. I didn't see one boarded up building. Everything was just business as normal. The day before a major hurricane strike was forecast. Like I said, complacency and complacency kills. People are, oh, it's not gonna hit, it's not gonna hit, because you've seen now Charlie. Irma, Ian, under the gun, all of a sudden it shifts. Oh, it's going to shift again. So once you've seen that pattern a few times, you think, oh, it's, it's going to happen again. They're, and they're going to get complacent. And when it doesn't shift, people are going to die. Yeah, James, appreciate you taking time. I know this is a somber time. I'm with Basil here. We're, we're in the uh, southern part of Fort Myers. Is this a considered Iona area, yes. I guess? Yeah. Um, so, Basil, I'm, I'm glad that you're okay, first of all. I know yeah, that you, you. you and uh, some of your friends and family may have been really affected by Hurricane Ian here. Yeah, so uh, we got lucky. Uh, well, I was in Sanibel. My family uh, was back up in New York, so they're safe and sound. Um, you know, I was going to stay, except that all of a sudden we ta started talking about a Cat 4, Cat 5. So when it really ramped up like yeah, that in the end? moved from Tampa heading towards Sarasota. And then, uh, you know, it wasn't looking all that good. So put up all the uh, hurricane shutters and everything else and hightailed it out of here. And I, As the track started moving farther south, I mean, at what point were you like, okay, I really need to get out of here? Um, it was probably the late, the night before it hit. Yeah. Uh, I decided it was game over. You know, so uh, how long did it take you to prepare your property? And then, oh, like, where did you go? I was preparing 
probably two or three days beforehand because I started hearing a lot more reports and uh, watching it. So I started putting up the uh, hurricane shutters and bolting on some hurricane That's shutters. smart. So you didn't wait to the last minute? No, no, no. I only waited to the last minute to exit, Okay. Um, which wasn't a problem. Sure. That was easy. And then uh, we wound up staying at uh, my, my neighbor and myself at uh, uh, his good friend's house, good a friend's house. And, uh, you know, we rode it out there. And the problem was, you know, the hurricane just sat by Sanibel and here. It moved so slowly, too. It, that's what I say. It just sat. And, you know, it was just amazing to hear. And we were out, you know, in his porch up north of Fort Myers and just watching the massive destruction in the trees. Over there, there was no flooding. Here had very bad flooding. Down here. And then Sanibel was even oh, the worst. So have Sanibel. you been back to Sanibel since? Um, I've seen it. I've seen what has transpired over there. Um, I'm going back tomorrow. And, uh, you know, all these stories that I've heard from people that were there and wrote it out, it's, it's bad. It was bad. You know, there were eight, ten-foot surges. Um, water was getting to the second floor. Some of the houses just toppled over. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it, was, it was a war zone. So you've talked to people that survived yeah. it out in Sanibel. Absolutely. Yeah, I know a bunch of people who survived it. I mean, what, 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 what did they say? I mean, like you said, it was just almost indescribable probably, right? Yeah, and they were on this. Luckily, they had a second and third floor. Their first floor was completely demolished. They had trucks. Trucks were just overrun. Had a lot of helicopters going over here, I think, to an aerial. So one of the depressing things is you have the Chinooks coming over regularly with dead bodies. So those are still search and rescue? Search and recovery. Search and recovery. Um, yeah. So a friend of ours flew us, um, I guess it was the day after the hurricane. We went flying um, two days after at 1,500 foot level. and uh, Over Sanibel. Over Sanibel, over Fort Myers Beach, um, Matt Lachey. It, you know, it's, it was brutal. It was brutal to see. It's just, I mean, from what I heard, it's just completely demolished and even like reworked, like cuts in islands and just everything looks different. Yes. Um, yeah, the shoreline on the Gulf on Sanibel is, is you know, it's, it's right up to the buildings. Yeah, Basil, it's, it's, it's heavy stuff, right? Because, I mean, this is where you live. You, you've known people all throughout there, um, some of which has survived and maybe some that didn't. It's just got to really be difficult to process at all, right? I, it's a war zone. It, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, I've been coming down here for 25 years, um, owned the place there for probably 12 years, owned my house now here three years down there. And, uh, you know, but we're going to make it through. We'll rebuild and move on. It's going to take a long time this time around, but we'll get it done. Yeah, I think once you get the storm surge, it really makes it really different, right? It's not just wind damage. It's not just trees on houses. And suddenly you're moving all this flood water through the community. So the problem is, and, and friends that were there afterwards took pictures of my place, and it is a war zone. You know, my, my house luckily survived, but I saw what the streets look like and other people's houses, and the amount of mud that's in other people's houses is just brutal. To so even if some of these houses survive, maybe they took on so much water well, and mud. Well, you need, we need to get in there quickly to, um, you know, reduce the risk of mold and mildew. That's right, that's right. You know, and, that, and that's really the issue right now. The ones that are still standing. 
Do you think, will there be any barriers for people, for residents to get back in? Or do you think like authorities are, are, will there be like restrictions for residents to get back in? There or are do- now. I'm actually going over tomorrow. Um, you know, I'm a resident and I have the re-entry pass and I'm, the buddy will take us over by boat. And, um, you know, myself and another guy is on uh, Home Association board and we're going to check everybody's house and we'll take it from there. Hazel, last question. Do you think any? Do you think as homes build back, they'll build differently, higher, or different materials, or do you feel like this is just you know what? Category four, category five. I don't know how much different you can go from here. I mean, I was in Hurricane Sandy in New York, you know, but that was a hurricane one, you know, one cat cat one, and that came over my house. Um, this is a whole different. Yeah, this is just the winds. It's hard to describe what it was like, yeah, it's right? A, it's a different game. It really is. You know, unfortunately, I, I shouldn't call it a game because a lot of people lost their lives. Um, you know, but with regards to prevention, you know, there's risks in everything in life. Sure, sure. And this is a beautiful place to live. I, I really hope for a quick recovery here. Yeah, and the people are get strong, so yeah. we'll, we'll get it. Basil, appreciate you taking time. I hope for a quick recovery. So thank you, thank you for taking time. Annie, we were talking, so the other day I saw you and you were explaining what it was like to ride out the storm here. I mean, what, what was that like for you? Um, I have to say it was worse than Charlie. Um, I can't explain how it was. It was just very noisy, awful. So, I mean, it, it was the wind, it was water, it was everything. I mean, what was, maybe walk us through the day that the storm hit. Just what did you see as the day progressed? Well, at first, uh, it was just like I've been through um, hurricane before, hurricanes before, and I thought I was just going to be okay. So you think, okay, you've lived here for some time. How how long have you lived here? Twenty-five years. Okay, so you've lived here twenty-five years. You've been through a lot of hurricanes. You thought this will be another hurricane. You've been through this before. But I am English. Did you get that? (laughs) So you've seen a lot of bad weather, is what you mean, right? (laughs) I'm used to bad weather. Absolutely. I'm used to rain. At what point did you think, okay, this storm's different than the other storms? Oh, we had to go upstairs. It, it just, at one point, we thought, this is not funny anymore. We need to get upstairs. From the water coming in? Yes. The water came in, and then we thought, we have to go upstairs. So what, what, what were you thinking as the water started coming in? I mean, were you, you, you went upstairs, you're trying to get more distance from the water. Yes. Were you afraid that this is going to come in the house and maybe yes. really impact you? Everything, yes. We so, thought absolutely everything. You've just said it there. So you go upstairs, and then as you're watching this unfold, just what what's going through your mind in that moment? The noise, everything was just awful. Just awful. And it lasted a long time, this storm. Oh, he is not nice. We are never going to use that word again. Ian, cut that out. So, right, this, I mean, you've been through Charlie, which was also a very intense storm, but yes, not yes. so long. And Oh, no, no, this is totally different. And I've been through Irma as well, but this... You don't seem to really like Ian very much. I do not like Ian at all. I'm from England, and his name is Scottish. <laughs> Get rid of him. So the storm's just raging on, the wind, the sounds, the flooding. At oh, what point did you say, I'm going to be okay? Um, I think when we were upstairs and there was Peter and I, my husband, and our, my girlfriend, Debs, we thought we're all together, we will be fine. And you, so you kind of knew at some moment, time, okay, we're going to be okay, and eventually yes. the water started going down. 
Not originally, not for some time. It stayed up for some time. Oh, yeah. Was it flowing fast through the streets? Very much so. Yeah. Very, very much so. Am I really going to be on the telly? You're going to be super famous. And the last question, when you got out and you walked around the neighborhood and started seeing what this looked like, oh, what what, it what was, was that like? No, it was awful. It was awful. And we just wanted to make sure that our neighbors were safe. And it was awful. Did um, it, it Obviously, almost every home here was severely impacted. Did yes. most of your friends make it through okay? Yes, yes. Yeah. Any, I'm glad that you're okay and you're you're of good spirits. That's the most important part of it. Is that you're uh, you're you have good spirits and I think you're going to make it through just fine. I'm I hope for a quick famous. recovery. I'm going to be famous on the telly. So you had evacuated for the storm, uh, right? I, we have a little bit of a different story. We live up uh, near Boston. Oh yeah. Panama, and we were about two weeks from coming down for the winter, and um, then the uh, hurricane hit, and so we. Um, decided you know we needed we just arrived here last night but so we you have a little bit of a different story what's we, your story we um we only built last year and yeah. there was only the only one lot left in this beautiful community so we had to build um with all the new standards for hurricanes and we actually didn't get water in our house at all oh this is interesting so the new standards i'm imagining you build up higher right yes we had to build up higher how much higher were you than the other houses? I think two and a half feet. Okay, and that made the difference. Made the difference. The garage got flooded, but the house stayed dry. Do you know when those standards went in? Or are they fairly new? After well, they started after Charlie, but I think maybe since then they've even made more. Um, you know. So I see I, pe people have said that the new codes like building practices, stronger roofs, things like that after Charlie. But it sounds like you're saying also putting houses up higher as well. I had to be up high. Yeah. And that made a difference for you. It made a huge difference for us. But it's uh, if you want a, the human side of it is like we feel so lucky that our house made it through. But we built here because of the community and we knew it was a beautiful community. So it's very hard to see what's going on what went on sure just walking around the streets yeah. almost every house has yeah. severe damage yes yeah but yeah. they they're all stick together and it's you know what's your perspective moving forward do you feel differently about storms i mean do you, do you feel pretty well prepared moving forward or has this storm made you really question uh, about living here or just no. just your your risk no no you you know the risk when you live in florida Sure, it is, obviously, especially yeah. the deeper history of Florida. There have been a lot of strong I, I hurricanes. Think the sadness around the destruction around the area like Fort Myers Beach uh, is just a quaint, just that was just such a quaint little place. And that's a part, you know, people have just lost everything. And yeah. it's just never going to be the same. So, Kim, you're from Illinois. You came down to prepare a rental property. You were just supposed to be here a week, yes. and that was the week that Ian hit. Could you kind of walk us through before, during, and after? The days before, you see the storm coming. It sounds like you're reaching out to people in the community, asking what to expect. I mean, what were you hearing from people? You know, where we were watching the news and watching TV, and they're telling us, you know, that category kept changing, and then it seemed like they would say three, and then a four, and then it was going to hit Tampa, and we started preparing, and I'm like, we should probably get water, start getting things, you know, food, you know, stuff for the house, and we started collecting some things, and then all the people that we know that live here said, oh, it's going to be fine, just stay, and I kept watching 
the news and they kept saying, you know, if you're close, you need to get out. And we're like, ah, what should we do? So the long-term people were saying it's not going to be a problem, but it sounds like some of your friends from outside this area and maybe news and media and meteorologists were saying this could be a problem. 100%, 100%. We decided to stay. We figure we're up high. We're in a piling house. We're going to be okay. And then it started coming, it started raining and the wind started picking up. And I'm like, maybe we should get in the car and drive further somewhere, go up in another area where maybe it's not as close to water. This is even as the early impacts of the storm are coming, you're starting to wonder, are we really safe? Questioning everything. And then I talked to my friends in Illinois and my sister's like, you need to get out. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, what should we do? And you know, one wants to stay, one wants to go. And we're like, we're gonna stay. And then we have rental property. We thought maybe we should go there and we didn't. We stayed at the house. And then once it started coming and we had a couple inches of water, I said, maybe we should go to call the neighbors next door because their house is higher than ours. And that's what we ended up doing. So Kim, walk us through the storm hit. Really, the worst of it was late on a Wednesday afternoon. But through the day on Wednesday, as the water's coming up, the winds are picking up. Just walk us through what that was like seeing those conditions. We ended up packing up a backpack. We went to our neighbors next door and we, we had a plan. We, we were, they had a radio we were listening to and it was saying when the eye was supposed to hit our area. We, had, we knew at this time we were gonna go in the stairwell. We're looking outside, we're securing the doors, making sure you know our, our batteries, we had everything together. And then the water started coming and the winds and we went in the stairwell when we thought the eye was hitting and it kept coming and coming and it was and this the is at the neighbor's day. house yes, so yes. you you got over to the neighbor's house then the water's coming up the four of you are riding this out together yes, yes. we um we're, we prayed we prayed i said I'll the go water to kept coming closer to your living space yes, right yes it came in on the first floor it was coming up then we went up to the second level the the double French doors were blowing in and we were trying to get them secure. And in the storm, you're trying to secure these doors, keep the water out. Yes, yes, so we prayed a lot. Kim, you were talking about your perspective, looking across the canal and seeing houses that were not elevated. What did those look like in the storm? I mean, the water started rising, it was halfway. And then we looked out there, you, you couldn't see the roof. You couldn't see the top of their houses. Then as the water started to recede, the windows were popped out and boats were going down the canal and furniture and chairs and stuff just blowing. It, it was horrible. I, I, when they tell you to leave, I say, they always say they give you the worst scenario. I will never stay. Believe, believe it. So, so you, would ne- you would never stay in a zone like that again? Nope, never. Nope. So you were actually looking at houses that were completely uh, inundated up beyond their roof line. Yes, yes. So you could not have survived that if you had lived in those houses? Nope. No way. It was it was terrible. All you could do is pray that. Man, so Kim, the water recedes actually quite quickly as well. And then what about that night and then the next day, just leaving that house, walking around the neighborhood, the community? I mean, what was that? What was that like? You walk out and you just you can't believe it. And there's stuff everywhere. And there's people's kids, water buckets and kids crayons and furniture and everybody's earthly belongings but you praise god that you're alive you you see all the sludge you know you got a a long road ahead of you and you just everybody just comforts each other and we're alive we're we're here what would you say to people that live in hurricane zones and they're like i've been through hurricanes before we've never seen catastrophic flooding like that we what would you say to people like that that feel like they've experienced hurricanes but their experience does not match this type of story that you're telling 
can I swear? <laughs> you can say whatever you're, you want. You're full of crap. You need to leave. You know, when you are in a hurricane of this magnitude, your th whole thought process changed. Like all our friends said, you guys are going to be fine. When they tell you on the news, I don't care if they hype it up, you better believe it. I would never stay. I would say get out, go to higher ground, get away from water because there is nothing that's stopping water. That's the thing. It's the water. You know what happens? People think of hurricanes as wind events because I think on TV we see palm trees blowing in the wind. It's hard to really get a videographer or get really video content from the worst of it from anyone that would have survived, right? So a lot of times people aren't even thinking of hurricanes as this massive saltwater flood and that's what kills most of the people. 100%. You are spot on. What, did you all, I mean, obviously you're from Illinois, you, you were down here temporarily, so you probably have thought of hurricanes from more from a distance. Did you think of hurricanes as with like massive saltwater flooding or were you thinking of it more of, of as a wind event really? Kind of more of a wind event. I knew there would be some water. I knew they said about the surge, but we were just here in December when the tornado hit and that was devastating, but this is like... It's a different scale, right? Totally. Yeah. You know, that's like a, a, an area and then it stops. The water, it's coming. It's got to go somewhere. It just, it's everywhere. It's, it's devastating. Yeah, Kim, hope for a quick recovery for you guys. Appreciate you taking time. And I'm glad that, that you made it through okay. And that, you know, I know it'll be a long road to recovery, but appreciate you taking time Thank to share you. your story with us. Thank you so much. God bless everybody yeah. that stayed here for it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. We're off McGregor Drive in Iona, Florida. It's a part of, southern part of, Fort Myers, we're about four miles by road from Fort Myers Beach. We're walking down the street, unbelievable amounts of debris in front of everyone's home, every house flooded. You can see high water marks actually. Jeremiah, you can see the high water mark there on the garage, about two feet up above ground. Pretty much every house took on flooding damage, but just talked to a flood victim and asked her, was it confusing for people? Because they got hit by a category four hurricane 18 years ago with no flooding. Was it confusing that this Category 4 flooded them? It's just always interesting. People's responses often surprise me. So there's a couple reasons why this one, there was a big flood. The wind field for Ian was huge. It was moving forward very slowly and the pre-landfall pressure was very deep. Pre-landfall winds were a lot stronger than Hurricane Charlie 18 years ago. There are a whole bunch of reasons why this produced a surge and Charlie 18 years ago didn't. What this local woman said was, well, storm surge is hard to predict. She started getting into tides. If it's coming on an incoming or outgoing tide, like the, this is microtidal. The, the tides don't really affect that much. I heard someone saying that the type of sand on the beach in Siesta Key, it's quartz. So therefore, uh, there's a lot of legends that that storm surge and hurricanes won't hit Siesta Key because there's quartz sand on the beach. People say, hey, Siesta Key, Sarasota area, it's a former ancient Indian burial grounds so that they won't get a hurricane hit. A lot of these things are really more like myths and not really scientifically sound, but then some of the more sound science people just don't really understand. So it's interesting just walking around, talking to people, getting their perception. Obviously, it's it's a combination between the physical science and the human science and the, the human impact is, is just really important to understand how people make decisions, where they got their information from, things like that. So people are, it's very somber. I'm with Jeremiah. We just spoke to a woman who just found out in the last minutes that two of her close friends passed away. So that's um, a sensitive thing when you're in these disaster zones. You want to be supportive. You want to hear people's stories, but be sensitive of them too, because they, they may have just lost a close friend or family member. So 
it's very somber trying to do our best to read people and sometimes people want to speak they want to have a voice other times people would rather not maybe they're still processing complex emotions I'm here in a really very close to Fort Myers Beach. We're over on the Fort Myers side. I'm with Marshall. Marshall, I mean, your story is amazing. You took every effort at dawn the day after Hurricane Ian to get into the most vulnerable areas. I mean, what in the world was that like for you getting over there? Well, it wasn't anticipated. That's for dang sure. Uh, it was very alarming what the scene we had is even coming in. So based on what the boats on the road and seeing those large ships capsize on the land, um, was showed us what the wreckage is going to be up here and it was just that as soon as you go over the, the big bridge here it's everything was gone the buildings are gone uh, you're, you're driving on three feet of sand over gas lines spraying alarm whistles going off in houses cars honking and beeping this is just a complete catastrophe scene and like you said there's no law enforcement right uh, well at that time no and we didn't know if we can get over the bridge you know and so we, we got over the bridge like holy crap, we're in, we, we've made it, what, what's going on here, you know, why, there's no cops around, there's nothing, and so we drove on in further and further, and you know, and there was a lot of carnage and a lot of people's lives that were lost that you could visually see at certain points throughout the, the road there, and um, houses on top of cars, people in the canals, um, you know, things that were memorable to everybody in the area and now gone, you yeah. know, one of them would be in mom's, you know, uh, Biscuits and Gravy is one of my favorite spots, wiped off the earth, you know, and some of the largest landmarks down there completely gone. So I just don't understand, you know, why we were, there was no emergency, but I do understand that there is a plan, an organization has to get that together, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming. Marshall, so you, you explained there were dead bodies, but also people that maybe were severely injured that still were alive at that time, right? There was a particular gentleman um, above the uh, 7-Eleven in a tree, uh, hanging onto a pallet in a tree, uh, I, th I think what he said his story was his wife was in the other one deceased but anyway the guys there um, the two homeless gentlemen there that was looting the place actually got the gentleman down out of the tree and called for ambulance but the ambulance never showed up um, but uh, there again that's not my place to say whether it was whose fault was what I'm just going sure sure on stories you know yeah um, and you mentioned some like women and an ups upstairs that were hanging on right I mean so the, the whole idea is that people were trying to get up to save their lives from not drowning on the day before right yes these were stories so that's you know, my team and us we all we sit up here the very first desk when we left the island that was the first thing in my mind let's go get something to help the only thing I knew to help was cook so we brought my food truck down immediately and started cooking things up and oh, those, that's great these stories that were coming in was one of these of uh, the three sisters you know they were just they were spending a celebration down here and they used their handkerchiefs to tie their rafters to save their lives and their other third sister or friend whichever what it was did not have a handkerchief and got a screw in her juggler and bled out and passed away. Wait, wait, wait. So the handkerchiefs, they were, they were hanging from the rafters with them? Yeah, that was their, that was their, let, their tie to hold on to. And the, and the third sister didn't have one and she passed? Well, due to a screw into her neck. Man, it's just, it's so graphic, but you're helping us see just the violence of the storm and how what people did what they could to just try to survive the night, right? Well, these are stories that every, they come off off the street here and they'll tell either one of me or Brian or Andrew or one of the three of us. Oh, I see they're coming to get food and they're like, you can't believe this story. That's hot dog in the world and you don't know what I've been through. And I said, do you care to share? And, and they just cry and cry and they tell you everything. Their dogs are shaking, their cats are shaking. And it's just so, so traumatic for everybody. Now we're at day seven. This is day seven. You're talking seven days, no power, no water, no electric, no, no, no laundry no food are there people still over there or do you think everyone everyone there's left approximately there's approximately they said 
maybe 20 to 30 that keep running off into the woods or into their, their condos that they, you know, they're going to try to go after from where hearing. Um, you mean like they don't want to leave and they, they, they'll avoid contact with people? Correct. They don't want to give up their land. And I, I don't blame them. They don't want to go through land. They don't, they don't want, want to give up their land. Give I, up their land, yes. I understand. I understand what you're saying. Uh, lastly, you, you had mentioned about looters coming in, maybe from Miami, other places, and even them chasing you off. I mean, that's, again, you're helping to paint the, the chaos of this the morning after. I mean, what what happened in that? That was the very the very first thing we came over the bridge that morning. We turned to our right where the town square was at, and we seen the two looters, me and my buddy Brian. We jumped out, and I said, hey, that's not your shit. They're looting someone else's stuff. And you, you, you intervened and, and addressed it. Correct. That's exactly what we tried to do. And then the guy pulled his knives out and started chasing after us. So we took off our truck and went away. And as, as you can see, there's one way in, one way out. And as a way out, they came around to the door and slammed so They them. caught up to you? Well, we passed them as they were getting in their car that they had stole to get down here. And, um, and they threatened you, right? No, pretty much, yeah. They, they said I was a dead man. Dude, uh, appreciate not only you addressing that kind of thing, but also just coming down here with a food truck. I mean, doing everything you can to help people. I just, uh, I, I think that's really like inspirational for a lot of people to hear. I think it's the only thing we can do is, is to, you know, I, like I said, I can't go drive nails. I can't be in the heat all day due to my health, but I can go cook flip burgers. and. Cook Dude, and that's the thing. I mean, just to get a hot meal, you just brought five meals over, free food for us. You know, I mean, just you're, you're giving to the community and I, that's the kind of thing in disasters, we hear about the best and the worst and you know, you're doing the best here and just appreciate that a lot, man. I think between, so thank you. Yeah, between my team and us, we do over a little thousand meals a day. Man, so you're, you're, you're distributing a thousand meals a day for, and, and to give, and we'll give context of this. We're coming off the bridge just right from Fort Myers Beach, one of the worst hit areas. And you're right here then providing services and food. They consider this base. Dude, uh, just, uh, that's a lesson for our listeners too on how to stage, you know? Like sometimes you can't be at ground zero, but you can stage right outside of ground zero. That's really what you've done here. You stage as close as you can, right off the bridge, and you're providing food and services and encouragement to people. Brian, do you just share about that a little bit. I'm with Brian here. We're at, it's called Dudley's, right? So, I mean, you lost a lot in this, but you're out here serving other people. Just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no reason not to give back to the community. This is our community, and we really, really, really want to give back. So, and that's the most important thing. It's materialistic things that I've lost, and, you know, from now on, I'm just always going to give back. I'm so very like blessed. You and Marshall set this up. You set up a food truck, really, right at the base of the bridge to Fort Myers Beach. People are coming off with these crazy survival stories and you're here providing food and they're telling you their stories, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's devastating. It really is devastating. But, you know, like I said, it's, you know, we, we talked about it. It's, it's that first meal coming off. It's, that's the best meal. That's the best meal you're ever going to have. The best meal you're ever going to have. You just face life or death. You survived. You don't have anything left, but you have nothing. And then you come and here's Dudley's uh, beachside barbecue with hot food, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of these stories you heard from people? I mean, they had, you had to hear chaotic stories in the last week. The, the one that sticks out to me is Marshall and I came, came down here probably about 6.45, 7 o'clock in the morning. And we, we picked up a gentleman, he was a homeless gentleman. We drove him to try to get where he had to get. And we met some younger guys and he lost his dog and he jumped from one platform to another to save his own life and lost his dog. So, you know, we, we, we took Wait, him Wait, platform, you mean he's on water or what? I don't understand. Yeah, well, uh, it, was, it was his balcony. So he jumped from balcony to balcony and held on while the waves were coming through. Wait, during the storm, he jumped from one balcony to another and his dog did not make it? Correct, yeah. 
So he went through this loss of his dog and almost loss of his life and was probably hanging on for dear life through the storm. And then a few days later comes out to in interact with you guys. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was very inspirational because during that sequence, he, he finally got to see a couple of his buddies that he thought he maybe lost or whatever. But, you know, the hugs, the hugs that we saw were, were emotional. It was great. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's this life or death stuff. And you guys are here serving. I mean, what? so you've been here, obviously, for a while now, serving food, giving out to people. I've seen people with smiles. People are like, wow, finally, the feeling of hope, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's it's emotional. It's, I, you know, I, I, there's no words to explain it. And, I mean, Brian, I mean, you, you didn't quite face like losing your life, but you lost your vehicle and you, you, you ha went through a lot of devastation and loss as well, right? Yeah. I, I, quite honest, I, uh, I thought I was going to have to cut a hole in my lanai and jump out on a raft. I went downstairs. I had knee-deep water in my garage. I lost all my belongings in there, and I jumped out. I was I thought I was going to have to jump out with this pool raft that I was going to have. and I. You were looking for an escape route, basically. Yeah, yeah. I was looking out. I, we didn't know how high the water was going to go. It went, it went high. It was Man, I mean, it surprised a lot of people. Um, it's... So how do you get from that, though, losing your belongings to, like, you're here working in a food truck serving people? Like, how? what's the timeline there and what, what, what the thought process? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, Mar Marshall's one of my best friends in the world and, you know, just help trying to help out others. You know, it's, it's not about me at this point. It's about all of us coming together as a, as a community and, and helping each other out. I'm here at Dudley's Beachside Barbecue off the causeway from Fort Myers Beach. Uh, we're with Brent. Brent, you're out here with cold water and ice. I mean, what's going on? Where in the world do you get ice in a catastrophe? Yeah, so we have, we've had a good team outside of just me coming out here. I have to give them credit, but we were actually sending guys to Miami to come back with not only ice, they were coming back with toothbrushes, toothpaste, soap, uh, children's clothes, diapers, uh, formula. Um, I've been in contact with Hertz Arena multiple times, so we're bringing truckloads of all the stuff they need at Hertz Arena. We're loading it up on these buses and kind of forcing these bus drivers to take the stuff to Hertz Arena, which they've been um, open with doing. But we've had in the last four days probably 15 truckloads of stuff that we've either been passing out to people here or loading up on these Lee Tram buses uh, since Saturday. And just to give context, you can drive for a long way and not even see a stoplight that's working. And Miami is really far from here. That's not right down the street. Yeah, it's about three hour drive from here, which is insane though, because my house on a typical day is 35 minutes to get here. It took me over two hours today. With but the, with the stoplights out right. and the traffic and the gridlock and the emergency workers. That's exactly right. Yep. So the four-way stop on every single intersection, um, it's just, it's, it's an, a big effort to get all the way out here with all the goods, but we need it. And it doesn't matter if there's just two people that come over the bridge today, at least they have cold water, some toiletries for when they go to the shelter and a, and a hot meal. Brent, I, I saw people here eating meals, eating food. Some people are saying this is the best meal they ever had. They were facing life or death a few days ago, and here they are getting a free meal. I mean, what are some of the stories you've heard from people? Yeah, so I've spoken to multiple ones that were stuck over there. I spoke to one gentleman who was the manager at Best Western. He was on the third story. He said that when the waves started coming in, it dislodged the uh, huge coolers that they have. The coolers were moving out and then moving in and destroying the bottom level of the, the, it was knocking down the concrete pylons, he said, these coolers. His wife, it took him three hours to go a mile and a half down the beach the day after the storm to get to their house. She was okay. 
they came out here. We loved on them. We prayed with them. We hugged them. We gave them a free meal. They were extremely happy about that. And that's been a recurring story. Uh, people coming over with four and five animals with them, uh, refusing to leave their animals, which I understand, uh, out on the beach. And just, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're just here to love on people pray with people, do whatever they need, no matter their politics, religion, none of that stuff matters in this small section. And that's what the most beautiful part of this area is. We're all people, we all love Southwest Florida and we all wanna help as much as we can. It's so inspirational, especially when you hear these horrific stories, people went through incredible trauma and you know don't even know where they're gonna get yes. their next meal. They've in some cases lost almost all their possessions, almost lost their lives. And here you are able to give them a cold bottle of water and a, and a warm meal. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've broken down a couple times hugging on people because they're crying and they just don't know uh, where to turn from here. We've seen reunions from people driving from Ohio all the way down here to get their mom and dad amazing, beautiful hugs and kisses. And, and uh, at this point, uh, human lives are far more important than, than a few beach chairs and uh, houses out on that island. We can rebuild. Wow. So much to unpack in these storm survival stories. A few insights come to mind. Number one, I hope you could pick up the sense that we were recording in an active disaster zone. The timescale of this disaster is hard to communicate. Much of the recording that you heard took place six or seven days after Ian's landfall, and we could still see, hear the sounds of sirens of emergency vehicles whizzing by, and the flyby of Chinook helicopters still looking for bodies. Although the fatality count has now exceeded 100 people, locals on the ground have told us that the missing list may be much longer. And unfortunately, many people may have been washed out to sea or washed into mangroves and not found yet. Really, the scale of this is hard to comprehend, and it's very somber and very, very hard to take in. Number two, James Grimes shared about his concern with the National Hurricane Center's cone of uncertainty on their hurricane forecast maps. Particularly, he was concerned about the center line option, where you can really, it, it looks like it's pinpointing where the hurricane's going to hit. The cone maps have come under increased scrutiny after Hurricane Ian, especially because many people may think that a hurricane is more like a point on a map instead of a huge area of impacts. Also, a lot of people just assume that the closer you get to the hurricane eye is where you're going to get the worst impacts, when in fact the eye position, in a sense, approximates the western boundary of the greatest impacts. A lot of the very catastrophic storm impacts spread far to the right of the eye position where it makes landfall on the coast. You can discuss more about this topic with James and his colleagues, like Casper and Kylie, who run the Tropical Weather Threat Society website. They're very engaged and very active, especially when a storm is out there in the Gulf or approaching the southeastern U.S. Again, they're the Tropical Weather Threat Society website, and they love to engage and discuss these types of topics. I thought it was insightful that Kim shared that friends and family out of state correctly warned about the catastrophic nature of Hurricane Ian, as did many weather and science professionals. But locals on the ground, from her perspective, really misguided themselves and others. We often think that locals know best. In this case, it seems like the opposite was often true. Decades of hurricane strikes without storm surges in places like Fort Myers and Cape Coral led to complacency that Ian would be like all the other storms that they easily survived. We consistently heard reports that people not only stayed, they were throwing hurricane parties until Ian's fury became deadly. These are somber interviews and spending time in a disaster zone is always very heavy. Yet seeing people come together and serve others, seeing the response of disaster recovery teams come into the region 
and hearing stories of survival and resilience gave us hope that Southwest Florida will come back from this, hopefully stronger and better prepared for future storms. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, everyone. Our production and marketing team is Seneth Baker, Ashley Anderson, Christopher Cook, Amy Wilkins, and of course, Jeremiah Long, who came out with me into the field for a few days. His arrival really lifted my spirits during a long week of Hurricane Ian fieldwork. I was thankful to see him, and he's always a joy to work with out there in disaster zones. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast.